next 15 years, I lived a life for myself. I lived a life, I'm, I, nobody's going to tell me what to say, nobody's going to tell me what to do anymore, nobody's going to tell me what to wear anymore, nobody's going to tell me I can go here, I can't go there. And I went in search of my own freedom because though my parents had raised me in the word, I heard the word as rules. It was don't do this, do this, don't do this, don't do that. Now, I understand now as an adult that my parents are just trying to to raise me right. They're trying to teach me what the word says about how a believer who is filled with the Holy Spirit is going to respond, right? But they were rules to me. And Christianity felt like a prison to me. It was a performance to me. I had to read. I had to pray. I had to go to church every Sunday, even if I'm throwing up. I have to be nice to people at church, even though I don't like them very much, you know? And, and these are all things, come on, y'all, we all, we all have these things. We all have these times where this is how we feel about church, about how we feel about the word. It's just a book of things that I have to do, and I don't want to do them. And that's why when I left for college, I rebelled. Because rules without relationship leads to rebellion. I did not have relationship with the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. It was all just black and white words on a page to me. It didn't mean anything more than that. It, it could have been a cookbook, you know. Oh, well, in order to get healing, I have to do, I add this ingredient and this ingredient and this ingredient and this ingredient, and then I should get healing. And then when it doesn't work, you get really upset. But there's no relationship. So I rebelled. And what felt like freedom actually turned into, into bondage to sickness and disease and pain and inflammation and two failed marriages. And I remember at the end of my, at the end of my second marriage, this was, oh, goodness gracious, about 10 years. I don't even know how long into the whole rebellion thing. At the end of the second marriage, I remember um, I had just found out that my husband was cheating on me with a man. And let me tell you, that'll do something to your uh, identity. And I remember I was sitting on my bed and at this point, I had been diagnosed with the Sjogren's and the hypothyroidism. But, you know, medication was regulating them and, you know, all was well. But by 2007, when this happened with my, with my second husband, I was, I was a wreck. I was emotionally scarred and bruised from my first marriage and now from my second marriage. I was... If I wasn't labeled an alcoholic, I think drinking a bottle of wine every day to get through the day, might somebody might have called me that. But I was depressed. I was oppressed. If there was any type of pressing going on, it was going on in my, in my life, right? And I remember one night, the night after I had found out uh, that he was cheating on me, I called my mom. And I said to my mom, I said, Mom, I feel so empty inside. And I'm sitting there, and the darkness is closing in. That dark, I don't know if any of y'all have been there, but in that pit that's so deep, there is no light, there is no hope. And as I'm sitting there, I heard that voice, that still, small voice that I had run from, that I had tuned my ears out from, that I had ignored. And I heard him say to me, Teresa, Though you have run from me, I have never left you. In the middle of all of that mess, the creator of the universe was right there. You know, when you think about it, in the midst of my blasphemy, in the midst of my fornication, in the midst of my drugs, in the midst of my alcohol and all of that, he was right there waiting for me. Every time I was hurt, he wanted to comfort me. Every time I cried, he caught my tears. Every time I fell down, he wanted to help me up. He was there waiting the entire time. So when I got to the end of myself, which is sometimes where we have to get in order to see that we need a Savior, 
that we need him in our life, I had a decision to make. Because, you know, he doesn't force you to do anything. I had a decision. Do I continue down this path of destruction? Or do I turn to him? Do I turn to the one who, despite everything, still loved me? wanted relationship with me. Guys, and I got it. I finally got it. Romans 2, 4 that says, the goodness of God brings you to repentance. That verse that I knew, that verse that I could have quoted, I lived it in that moment. And now nobody convinced me that he is not good all the time. Because only his goodness, only seeing that no matter what I had done, and let me say this, if you have disqualified yourself from anything that is your inheritance as a child of God, if you have disqualified yourself from doing what you feel, let's even say he's called you to do, if you have disqualified yourself because of something in the past that you have done, some regret, let that thing go. God is not holding on to your past. God is not holding on to the sins of your past. God is not holding on to anything you have said or you have done that you may be ashamed of or that you may regret. You are not disqualified. He is not a disqualifying God. He is a God that qualifies. None of us are worthy to do what he calls us to do. None of us are worthy to have relationship with the creator of the universe. None of us are worthy except for Jesus. And because of Jesus, we are worthy to have relationship with Father. Because of him, because of our belief in him. So now when Father looks at you, he sees Jesus. He sees the perfection and the beauty and the law and the faithfulness of Jesus. So don't disqualify yourself from anything. Let that stuff go. God's not holding on to it. Why are you? Let it go. So I made that decision because how in the world could I not completely submit myself to this God who loves me so much that even though I have sinned and even though I have rebelled for 15 years, he still there with open arms. So in December of 2007, I completely submitted my life to God and I said, I will go where you want me to go, do what you want me to do and say what you want me to say, which is why I am here today. But it was still a journey to get here, that's for sure, because that woman that I was 20 years ago now, you, you wouldn't, I don't even recognize her, which is why I can talk about her, because it's not who I am. I'm not that person anymore. I was born again, and I was filled with the Spirit, and I I was, but that's not who I am today. I have become who He has created me to be. You can become who He has created you to be. So I turned towards Him, and I began to follow Him. And you know what? I started going to church every time the doors were open. I was reading that. My nose was in the Word. I was praying. If there was a group, I was in it. For the right reasons this time. My motivation for all of these things had changed. Now it wasn't because the word says I should. But it's because I want to know this God. Who loves me so much. Who doesn't care if I mess up. I want to know him more. So true relationship with my father began in December of 2007. And then in 2009... Despite the fact that I told God that I was never getting married again, right? Um, I met Patrick, and six months later, we're married and been married for 14 years now. So um, he's, it's, it's good when you do it right. Don't be in a hurry. Don't be in a hurry. I don't know who's all married and who's not, but if you're not married, don't be in a hurry, okay? Just let God bring him to you, because I was not looking for this guy, I was not looking for marriage. I was so content with my relationship with God. And then it's like we just ran into each other. And that's how it should be. Let God bring him to you. Don't you go try and find him. Okay? And men, same thing with you. Don't try to find the one. You just seek out the one, and he will bring the one that's right for you. I love having young people in the audience, too. This is great. So, 
We got married in 2009, and we are both hard-charging towards God. We are committed. We're looking for, you know, God, what do you want us to do? Where do you want us to go? How are we going to do ministry together? Or are we doing ministry together? We were just living life at that point. So following him now, on, on a morning in 2011, so four years after I am pursuing Father now with my whole heart, I wake up one morning and I look in the mirror and I've got, it's called a butterfly rash and it's just a rash across my nose and my cheeks and my ankle was so swollen that I couldn't walk on it. And I knew what it was because my sister Jacqueline had been diagnosed with lupus at a very small, at a very young age when she was in her early teens and she went through two kidney transplants she had a heart attack while on dialysis, so she had a defibrillator placed. She was on medications to get up in the morning, medications to go to bed at night, anti-rejection medications that were making her lose all of her teeth. She was on medications to bring her up out of the lows and to bring her down from the highs. She was miserable. So I knew what lupus could do to a body. I knew. And then the doctors say, well, let's just wait and see. Wait and see what? So as I'm laying on the table and they had just diagnosed me with the lupus, I remember asking God, I said, why now? When I'm following him with my whole heart, do you have that? Sometimes things come upon you and you're like, I, don't, I just don't get it. Why is this happening? I'm following you. I'm, I love you. I'm in relationship with you. Why is this happening? And he said one word. And he said sin. And I want to be very, very clear here. Okay? Because I misinterpreted that word sin. And it kept me locked in sickness for another two years before I would be able to receive that healing that Jesus provided for me. I took it to mean, this is Teresa's interpretation, okay? I took it to mean that because I had sinned, I had opened the door for the enemy for all of this stuff to come in. While there is some truth in that, because sin, I do believe, does open a door for the enemy to do his work in you. I took it one step farther and said, well, because I caused it, I own it. I have to deal with it. I have to put up with it. It's mine now. It's my fault, so it's mine. But you know, all sin, and all sickness, excuse me, and disease entered in because of one reason. And that was because of the fall of Adam. That was because of the sin of Adam. And when Adam sinned, it brought death and disease and all of those things and sickness into the world. And this is why we as believers still, still encounter it. We still run into these things. But praise God, God gave us the answer. Jesus. He gave us the solution. Jesus. You have sickness, Jesus gives health. You have lack, Jesus gives provision. You have bondage, Jesus gives you freedom. So I thought I had to keep it. I thought the lupus was mine. In that same year, I'm diagnosed with the back issues and with the carpal tunnel. Uh, I was a court reporter at the time, and I remember going through school. I was going through court reporting school, and they said, now be prepared because all court reporters get carpal tunnel. Do you know what a court reporter is? It's that person that sits in the courtroom with the little machine and, you know, does that thing and takes down every word that everybody says. So, so when I was diagnosed with carpal tunnel, was I surprised? No, not really. Because the, wor the world said, you're going to get carpal tunnel. I'm like, okay, well, I guess I get carpal tunnel. Because at this point, I still, even though I had relationship when I prayed, nothing happened. I still wasn't seeing the word at work in my life. I still wasn't seeing the word a reality in my life. But you know what? The relationship meant more to me than seeing results meant. 
So even through all of those diagnoses, it didn't make me seek him any less. It didn't make me follow him any less because it was all about the relationship and not about the results. This is, this is a key, this is a big deal right here, guys. That you're seeking Jesus is about relationship, not results. Because if you say, I need to get to know Jesus better so that I can be healed, what is your motivation? Is it, is it truly relationship or is it the healing? And I'm not saying this to condemn you. I'm saying this because this was a major thing for me to get in my head. I didn't see it for the longest time. It's the relationship, not the results that are important. So I'm following him. I continue to follow him. In 2013, we went out to Colorado and ended up going to Karis Bible College. And in the first month, in the first month that I'm there, I learned something that completely changed everything for me. It took that word that I knew and made it alive in me. You know how Hebrews 4.12 says that the word of God is quick and powerful, sharper than any two-edged sword? What I'm going to share with you is what made that word that I knew, those seeds that my parents had planted in me from a young child, those verses, I could have given you a verse for healing, I could have given you a verse for prosperity, I could have given you a verse for anything. But this is what has now changed that word that I know into the word that I live. And now when I speak, things change. And when I speak, my body listens. This is, this is the inheritance of the children of the Lord, that there are power in your words because they're backed by the Holy Spirit, the power of the Holy Spirit. So in that first month that I'm there, I heard the term revelation. Revelation, not the book of revelation, like revelation knowledge. And I thought, well, that's just for the super dupers. You know, that's just for the pastors and the preachers and the teachers and those people who teach us, you know, revelation is for them. It's not, surely it's not for me. But then they showed me in the word in first, you can read it in first Corinthians chapter two, where revelation is for you. The hidden things of God are hidden for you. They're hidden from the world, but they're not hidden from you. They're like treasures to find. Revelation is like a treasure hunt. Who doesn't like a good treasure hunt? So revelation, I learned it was for me. And there was a little glimmer of hope. You know, at that point when I started school, I was kind of like, yeah, I, I believe the word. I love you, Lord, but it's just, it's not working for me. So maybe it can work for other people, but I just want to know you more. So I'm here. But I learned about revelation and man, that just sparked a hope in me that I was missing something all along here. There's more to his word than just the black and white words on the page. There's more for me to know than just the address and to be able to memorize the scripture. There's more. There's deeper. So I'm going to share with you four things today. And these four things, um, I'll say, will help you create an environment to receive revelation. Okay. So there's four things, and I apply these four things to my life anytime that a scripture jumps out at me from a page, because you know, God's trying to talk to you all the time. And I remember there were so many times where a verse would come up, and I'd be like, man, that verse is good, and I'd, I'd keep reading, and I'd just keep coming back to that verse, and I'd try to read, and i just have to come back, and i have to read that verse again. This is God trying to communicate with you. This is God saying, there's something important in this verse for you that I'm trying to say to you. Or how about Pastor Chad's up here, and he just says something that just quickens on the inside of you. And it's almost like an aha moment, right? But revelation isn't an aha moment. Because aha moments can fade. Because you can hear Pastor Chad say something up here and you get this aha moment, but then you go out and you live life and you forget that he even said it. 
And that happened to me a lot before because I never really knew what to do with those aha moments. I never knew what to do with that scripture that he's, I know you're trying to tell me something, but I get so frustrated because I didn't know how to figure, I didn't know how to get it. I didn't know how to get what he was trying to get. So these four things, I I started applying them to my life, and man, over the course of the next six months, I got got more revelation in those six months than I had in my, probably in my entire life, even since then, although I'm still getting good stuff. So the first thing you're going to do, you're going to remove distractions. So let's just say he brings a verse to you. And my verse was Romans 8.11. So I'm just going to use that as an example. So Romans 8.11, if the same spirit that raised Christ from the dead dwells in you, then that same, then, then God, by that same spirit, will quicken your mortal body. So I'm like, I know that this is a verse that's going to lead to my healing. I just know it. It was, I, I, I couldn't get past it. So you're going to remove distractions which means you're not going to be distracted by anything else, okay? So I am focused on Romans 8.11. It doesn't matter what shiny new thing comes along. I am going to stay focused on Romans 8.11 because I like to study things. So if I am focused on this one thing and then something interesting comes along over here, I have a tendency to say, ooh, this is shiny and pretty and go, you know, what's, what's the thing? Squirrel. You know, squirrel. Uh, So you have to stay focused. You're going to stay focused on this one thing, and you're going to be like a bulldog. You're going to be tenacious. You are going to latch onto that thing, and you're going to tell God, I am not letting go of this thing until I squeeze every amount of goodness out of it that you have for me. So not being distracted. I like to call them the enemy's weapons of mass distraction because if he can keep you distracted, He can keep you from getting what Father is trying to get to you. So, and think about it. Martha, right? Uh, I think it's Luke Luke 8. I don't remember exactly, but Martha. It says, and Martha, who was also sitting at the feet of Jesus, got up and got busy going about the business of serving, right? Right? So there was a time where Martha was sitting at the feet of Jesus. She had chose the best thing. But then she got up in order to go do what she thought she needed to do, to get up and go serve. And she got really angry with Mary, didn't she? But I think, and Jesus said, no, Mary chose the better thing, not being distracted, sitting at my feet. I think that's just a great example and if you look in uh, the parable of the seed and sower, one of them is the seed that was sown among the thorns. Nope. Oh, shoot. Patrick, help me out. Um, it's sown, and the weeds come up and choke the word. Okay, do you remember that one, the part of the parable of the seed and the sower? So the, the seeds are sown, but then the weeds come up and they choke and they say it's the cares of this world, that the, that the weeds are the cares of this world and the deceitfulness of riches. So being, being distracted by the things of the world, being distracted by the cares of, this, cares of this life. And I'm not saying that we don't have responsibilities because we do, but I'm saying you can think about whatever you want to think about even while you're busy doing what you need to be doing. We don't want to be distracted because those cares of the world will choke out that seed of the word, that seed of revelation that is there and it is, and it is growing. So we don't want to be distracted. We want to stay focused. So that's the first thing, removing distractions. Second thing you're going to do is ask for revelation. James 1.5 says, does any of you lack wisdom? You can ask for it and he will give it to you liberally without upbraiding you. What in the world does that mean? That just means that he is going to give it to you in abundance and he's not going to make fun of you for asking. Do y'all have that close friend that you ask a stupid question to and they'll let you know that it was a stupid question? Did you really just ask that stupid question? God doesn't do that. God has every answer, even to our stupid questions. I think it gives him joy when we ask him stupid questions. (laughs) So asking him for wisdom. 
So for Romans 8.11, I'm asking, God, I need, I need wisdom on this verse. I, I am asking you for everything that you're trying to show me in this verse. Third thing you're going to do, if you have a prayer language, you're going to pray in the Spirit. With this thing in mind. Because if you don't occupy your mind while you're praying in the Spirit, you're going to be thinking about the laundry, the oil that needs to be changed in the car, the garbage that needs to go out, the kids that need to be fed, the bills that need to be paid. If you don't occupy your mind, it is going to be filled with all of those other things. So one trick that I have learned, when I am praying in the Spirit specifically about something in particular, about something I'm seeking revelation on, I always have a notepad there and a pen. Because the devil will inevitably bring up that person that I need to call. Don't forget you have to call them. Don't forget you have to do this. So I will write that down real quick so I can forget about it and I can, I can move on. I guess that kind of goes along with don't be distracted too. But occupy your mind. So I'm thinking about, as I'm praying in the Spirit, I'm thinking about Romans 8.11. And I like to do word studies. And they're really not as hard as you think they are because I can do them. So if I can do them, you can do them. Blue Letter Bible is a great tool online to do word studies. Um, So I went on there and I looked at the words. Every word, I looked up what it means if the same spirit dwells in you. And that word dwell, when I looked at that word, it said fixed and operating in your mind, your will, and your emotions. If the spirit is established and he is working in your mind, your will, and your emotions. Doesn't that kind of change the, the depth or the meaning of if the same spirit that dwells in you? It, just, it, it means more than he's just in there because he's in every believer. But if he's fixed and operating in your soul, in your mind, your will, and emotions, then he will quicken And that word means by supernatural power to invigorate, to bring to life, to make alive again. And I'm thinking, man, that's what I need. My body is killing itself. My body is every day slowly killing itself. My thyroid is pretty much dead. I need him to quicken. So I need him to quicken. This means I need to get him working. I need, to, I need to get, how do you get him working? It's just a matter of, of thinking on it. It's renewing your mind to what the word says. When the enemy brings those negative thoughts, you're replacing it with what the word says about the situation. So I'm praying in the spirit. And I don't know that I ever got a revelation while I was praying in the spirit. But in 1 Corinthians 2, it says, we uh, in the spirit, we pray mysteries. Gosh, I wish I had these verses. I probably have them here somewhere. Um, we pray mystery. We speak the, here it is. Thank you, Lord. First Corinthians 2 says, we speak the wisdom of God in a mystery. Okay? So the wisdom of God in a mystery. And then in 1 Corinthians 14, it says, when we pray in the spirit, we speak mysteries. You put those two together. When you pray in the Spirit, you speak the wisdom of God. So as you're praying in the Spirit, I believe that you're praying out the wisdom of God. It's like out there now, right? You're praying in the Spirit. That wisdom is out there. It's only a matter of time until you get it, until you get that understanding, until you get it. And 1 Corinthians 14 also says that you can ask for an interpretation of what you pray for of what you're praying in the Spirit. I don't do that very often. I should probably do that more. So again, I don't know that revelation necessarily comes as you're praying, but I believe that it is a vital part of receiving. And you know, another another reason that we ask for revelation, I think this is important. Um, We don't ask for revelation because he hasn't already given it to us. We have the mind of Christ on the inside of us. We have the wisdom of God on the inside of us. We ha- he, hasn't, he hasn't forgotten to give us anything that we need. We are full to the brim and overflowing 
on the inside, right? So we don't ask for revelation because we're waiting on God to give it to us. I think asking for revelation is more for us because what that does is it puts your ears on notice that revelation is coming. I need to be listening. I have asked for it. He said he's going to give it to me. So I am going to be listening and I'm going to be paying attention. So asking for revelation isn't for God. And you're not waiting on it from him because you already have it. But we ask for us. And I think another thing it does is it really humbles us to say to God, I don't know. In my finite thinking, I don't know. I need your wisdom. What father doesn't want his daughter to come up to him and say, Dad, I need your wisdom in this? Just Doesn't that make you feel good, parents, when your kids ask you for advice? They ask you for your wisdom? Doesn't that make you... I think God feels good when we ask him, you know? I want to make him feel good. I'm going to ask him, start asking him more things. So you are removing distractions, asking for wisdom, praying in the spirit. And this one's important, keeping the word in the forefront of your mind. This was in um, Pastor Chad's prayer. Yeah, it was the first part, Joshua 1.8. Can you put that up there, Joshua 1.8? No, okay, thank you. At least you're honest. Then I'm not waiting. Okay, I'm going to pull it up here. Joshua 1.8. Joshua 1.8 says, This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate in it day and night that you may observe to do according to all that is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous, and then you will have good success. You will meditate in it day and night. Now, meditation. We're not talking New Age. We're not talking Eastern, sitting on the floor in the lotus position with your hands up, chanting. Okay, this isn't what meditation means. Meditation simply means that you are running it over and over and over in your mind. So the things that you're seeking revelation on in those moments where you don't have, you're not at, you're not at work and you have a few moments thought, what you're doing is you're running those things through your mind. And a lot of times, because at the time my thyroid was still um, all not, working well. So I would have a hard time remembering things at times. So I would write them down on little note cards and I'd have them with me everywhere that I went. So in those moments where I had some free time, I would pull out those note cards and I would just be thinking and I'm not thinking about anything else. And I'm, I'm expecting to hear, I'm expecting wisdom. I'm praying in the spirit about it. And I'm just constantly keeping it in my mind, meditating do you know, this goes back to Romans 12, 2, that says, be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may show what is the good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Meditation is renewing your mind. And what does the word say? When you renew your mind, you will be transformed. And I'm, you've probably shared this with them. The Greek word for transformed is metamorpho, which is where we get the word metamorphosis. Is metamorphosis something that you can see? Come on. When a caterpillar turns to a butterfly, can you see it? You see the change. You see the difference, right? This is saying be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you will see a change in your body, in your marriage, in your circumstances, in your bank account, as you renew your mind. My husband and I have bought a few houses and flipped them. Renewing your mind is like a renovation project. It really is. It is hard work. You have to rip out the old cabinets you have to clean it. You have to put the new cabinets in, right? Ripping things out is really, really hard work. When you have mindsets that you have had for decades that don't line up with the word of God, those things are hard to rip out. You know, it's almost, 
It's almost like that, uh, that paddleboard game, you know, that has the ball attached to it. You know, and you try to cast it out, and it comes right back, and you try to cast it out, and it comes right back. That It's a process to renew your mind. I think a lot of times we get in a hurry. This is a microwave society. We get in a hurry. We want to figure it out. We want it to be done. This is why fast food places are so popular, because we don't want to wait for that delicious spaghetti sauce to simmer for hours, you know, to get, we want that food right now. But it's a hard process. It takes time. Don't be discouraged. If you know where, if you know where you need to go, right? Don't be discouraged if it takes you a little while to get there. It's a process. It's a journey. And you know what? None of us will ever reach it until we take our last breath and we go hang out with Jesus. And then we know all things, right? So don't beat yourself up when you miss it. Old habits sometimes are hard to break, but they can be broken because the Word has the power to do that. The Word has the, pro- the power to change your mind. So be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And then I think we stop there. But that next part says, that you may prove what is the good and perfect and acceptable will of God. That word prove means to demonstrate with evidence. You are demonstrating with evidence by being transformed by the word of God. This is our inheritance. This is how things change for us. We renew our mind to what the Word says by allowing the Holy Spirit to give you that revelation, to get that revelation from your spirit man into your mind, and you do that by applying those four things. It's really not that complicated. It's your mind that needs to be renewed. You know, a lot of times we say we need to get it from here to here, right? But we've already got it here. We've already got it in our spirits. The Holy Spirit needs to come and and bear witness with our spirit that we are children of God, that we are healed. It's not our spirit that needs to be convinced. It's our mind that needs to be convinced. And we convince our mind by renewing it, by ripping out the old, by saying, by ripping out those old teachings that say God gave you sickness to teach you something. God gave you sickness to, to draw you closer to him. Where You show me in the word where Jesus ever gave anybody sickness. Because Jesus is the express image of the Father. And if Jesus didn't do it, God wouldn't do it. Every single person that came to Jesus was healed. Healing is for everybody, every time, of everything. Everybody, every time, everything. And this includes the things that the world say are going to happen when you get older. You, for, for women, we have to go through menopause and we have to have hot flashes. We have, our bone density has to decrease, right? We have to become weaker. We have to lose strength. Our eyes have to go bad. Men, you're going to lose muscle. You're going to, I don't know a whole bunch about what happens when men get old. Um, Oh, Oh, man, that's good. So, because that's not our inheritance. Our inheritance is Deuteronomy 34.7 that says Moses was 120 when he died and his eyesight was not dimmed and his strength was not abated. That is our inheritance. Now, I know the word doesn't say anything about hot flashes. But I think that means, because God actually showed me that verse when I was dealing with those things. God was basically saying, because Jesus didn't have hot flashes. Maybe he did on the cross. I hope he did. I'm pretty sure he did on the cross. Anyway, I'm getting way off kilter here. So when I was dealing with those hot flashes, I dealt with them for about two weeks, and this was back in 2018. You probably remember this. We're making the bed one day, and I'm like, I don't know how to stand against these things. I don't have anything in the Word that talks about hot flashes. And then so I started asking God about about it. 
give me wisdom. How do I pray about this? What do, how, how do I stand against this when there's nothing clearly in your word? And that's when he brought me to Deuteronomy 34.7. His eyesight was not dimmed and his strength was not abated. And I'm like, well, now this is still a man. I mean, how, how, is, this supposed, how is this, you know? And what he said was, the world tells you that as you get older, your strength has to abate has to decrease, right? The world tells you that as you get older, your eyesight has to dim. Your eyes have to go bad. This is what the world tells you. But Moses was a demonstration of what God says about us, of what God says is for us, is for his children. So he's showing me, no matter what the medical community says, no matter what the world says is your inheritance, who are you going to believe? Hot flashes are not your inheritance. You do not have to have those. Moses' eyes didn't have to go bad and his strength didn't have to, have to decrease. So I don't have to have hot flashes. Why am I talking about hot flashes? Oh my gosh. Do you see what I'm saying though? Who are we going to believe? It's renewing our mind. It's, that's the process of renewing your mind. That yes, you're dealing with these things in your body, you're dealing with these things in your finances, and your marriage, you're dealing with these things, but what does God's word say about it? Because his word is truth. And I think there comes a point in every believer's life where you have to say either his word is true or it's not. Because we can't pick and choose. We can't pick this verse and say, this verse doesn't apply to me. Or we can't pick this verse and say, this verse isn't applicable for today. His word is not irrelevant. His word is more relevant today than it was when it was written. In the face of all the darkness and the chaos that's going on in the world today, his word has to be true. And there comes a point in every believer's life where you have to draw a line in the sand and say, no matter what I see, feel, or think, his word is true. I'm crossing that line today. And that's what I choose to believe, and that's what I stand on. And the enemy is going to challenge you. He will. He will challenge you by what you experience in your body, what's going on around you. But I promise you, if you will hold on to his word... In the face of all of that, there will be victory. Because his word does not return void. It goes out and it prospers in the thing to which it was sent. When you speak and your words are backed by the power of the Holy Spirit, they do what they were sent out to do. They accomplish what they were sent out to accomplish. And it doesn't matter what you see after you say it. It is our job. We're believers. What do we do? How long do we believe? Forever. We believe. This is what we do. We believe no matter what. And I want to say this one thing. John 10.10 10 says that the enemy comes to steal, kill, and destroy. But Jesus came so that we might have life and have it more abundantly. Did Jesus ever give anything besides life, love, and hope? Did he ever give anything? Too, too often today, the things of the world are being attributed to God. They're... they're the, the bad things that are happening, the hurricanes, the floods, the, oh, this is God's judgment. No, it's not. God poured out all of his judgment on the cross. There is no more judgment right now. There will be a day of judgment for those who don't believe in Jesus. But right now, God is drawing men to himself with his goodness. Natural disasters are not good. They do not fit in the nature or character of God. These are things that we just, we hear and we just kind of agree with them without thinking about them. We need to become thinkers. We need to become like Access Bereans. Okay, they're saying this is God, but let me see what the word says. Does that really fit with who God is? 
Hallelujah. Hallelujah. He is good. He is good, good, good all the time. So why is revelation so important? Why is it so important? I want to I give you a, a picture to think about. And this, is, this hopefully will solidify why revelation is so important and why it's worth the time that it takes to pursue it, why it's worth the time to think on his word and meditate on his word. Imagine that you're standing on the edge of the Grand Canyon, okay, and your toes are over the, over the edge and maybe a little gravel's falling and you can see the bottom of the canyon. And stretched out before you is a very narrow tightrope. Can you see it? Stretched out all the way across the Grand Canyon. And on the other side, that's your destination. So let's call the other side healing, okay? So you're standing there, and you have to cross this tightrope in order to get to the healing on the other side. Are any of you professional tightrope walkers? And no, no, no takers. Okay, so I'm pretty certain that none of us would make it to the other side. You know, and you, you might get out there a little ways, but as soon as that rope shifted, or as soon as a strong breeze came, down you would go. So revelation, now imagine this. Above you is a rope like that, and it is stretched all the way above you, parallel with this rope that you have to walk all the way over, and it is secured on the other side. And dangling from this rope is a harness that you're going to put on. You're going to put it on. You're going to snap it in place. You're going to test it out. This thing is secure. You are not going anywhere. And now you're looking at this rope, knowing that you are securely fastened to this rope above you. And you can confidently and in faith step out on that rope, walk to the other side, and know with confidence no matter how far you are along, you are getting to the other side. This is what revelation does for you. It gives you faith and confidence in the face of any of the storms of life. And when you're secure in that, if you're out in the middle and a hurricane comes along, which I don't think they have hurricanes in, uh, is it Arizona where the Grand Canyon is? New Mexico? Where is it? Arizona? Okay, good. I should probably get my facts straight before I tell this again. Um, so you're out in the middle and a windstorm comes along. It doesn't matter. It doesn't mean, matter if your feet aren't touching the rope at some point. You're still going across to the other side. So we need to look at those circumstances, those things that, that come up in life. We need to look at them and see that they're nothing. Because we're secure in the word. We're secure. We are secure in the word. This is why revelation is so important. So as I started, I forgot I'm telling my testimony here. So as I started applying these things, he started showing me things in the word. And one of the first things that he showed me was that I am a spirit, I have a soul, and I live in a body. And you might think, well, why is that so important? Because when I started this journey, if, if you had, I identified with my body. Isn't that what, what most of us do? Because this is what we live in. This is what we feel. Well, I knew that the word said that I was spirit, soul, and body, but I didn't really know what that meant. I knew it was true, but I didn't know what it meant. So I started seeking revelation about spirit, soul, and body. God, show me. Show me the difference. Show me how to live more from from my spirit. And over time, he showed me through his word who I am in the spirit. Do you know that James says if that the, that the um, body without the spirit is dead? I want you to really think about these things. The body without the spirit is dead. So when your spirit leaves your body, your body is dead right? 
because your spirit is the one that gives life. Not your body. Your body does not give you life. Your spirit gives your body life. Your, sp- your body is just like your earth suit. You know how s- the guys that go to the moon or wherever they go to now, they have to wear suits in space because that's how they live out there, right? Well, our body is our earth suit. It is nothing more than an earth suit. Your spirit is the real you. And the word says that your spirit is whole and complete and lacking nothing. The real you on the inside is healed and whole and prosperous and free and victorious in every area of life. This is who you really are no matter what you see when you look in the mirror. When you look at me, what you see, this is not who I am. You've got to look really deep in my eyeballs in order to see who I really am. And the more you realize that, the easier it is to walk in the Spirit and you won't fulfill the lusts of the flesh. That's one of those Christianese things that we say that, you know, I'm like, I don't even know what that means when you said it the first time. Walking in the Spirit just means that you choose to do things by God's Word and His way. It's your, you're, just, you're just doing things His way. And the more you recognize that you're a spirit, the easier it is for you to respond in kindness as opposed to bitterness. The easier it is to forgive when somebody hurts you. The easier it is to wave at somebody when they flip you off. You know, it, it becomes easier and easier and easier to choose kind words over harsh words. When you realize that's who you are, because when things come out that aren't who you truly are, you start to see, that's not who I am. I'm not this person that gets offended so easily. This isn't who I am. On the inside, I am long-suffering, and I am patient, and I am kind. And when it came to sickness, what that revelation did for me was it made me see that what was in my body wasn't really me. The lupus, the Sjogren's, it was no longer my sickness, no longer my medication, no longer my disease. Because my spirit is complete and healed and whole. So it allowed me to separate myself up here from that sickness and disease. And I started to see it differently. I started to hate it like God hates it. I started to see it as an intruder in the temple of the most holy God. Because our bodies, did you say that earlier? I think you did. Our bodies are now the temple of the Holy Spirit. Our bodies belong. 1 Corinthians 6 says, our bodies belong to him. These bodies don't even belong to us. We're just renting space here while we're here. Our bodies belong to him. They are the temple of the most holy God. So this sickness and disease, it is intruding in the temple of the most holy God. Let me ask you this, gentlemen. If you're sitting at home with your family and somebody knocks on the door and you go to the door and you just know that the person on the other side of the door is there to kill, to steal, and destroy from you and your family, what are you going to do? You're going to find you're going to find a weapon. You're going to you are going to fight that thing off with everything that is within you, right? Until they are running down the street screaming like a little girl because you are going to protect your home. Guys, our body is our home. And we need to start seeing sickness and disease and arthritis and congestive heart failure and chronic obstructive pulmonary disease and rheumatoid arthritis and cancer. We need to start seeing these things as that intruder knocking on our door. And we need to grab our weapon. We need to grab our weapon and attack that thing with everything that we have until it is screaming like a little girl running down the road. But too often, because the world says we're supposed to get that, or we're going to get that, or this is normal, or I'm only human, or no, no, we're not. 
That's not what the word says. And we need to get that attitude. We need to get an attitude against sickness and disease. And for those of you who are married, those of you who have families, stand together. As a body of Christ, stand together. Too often, believers in the church don't want to come forward and say, I'm dealing with this, because they don't want the guilt and condemnation of, oh, well, you must not have enough faith then. Or, do you know what I... Or, or even if the, the body of Christ doesn't say it, but you're thinking in your mind, well, if I'm dealing with this, I must not have enough faith. Baloney. We need to stand together. We need to stand together. Speak life over each other. Pray for each other. Hold each other up when we're down. This is what we do as a united body of Christ. So that revelation of spirit, soul, and body came. My authority in Christ. Who I am in Christ. So many times we know who we are in Christ. We know that we're holy and unblameable and without reproach, according to Colossians 1. We know that we're redeemed. We know that we're forgiven. We know these things, but we don't think about who Christ is in us. Who is Christ in you? Romans 8, 11, it goes back to that. The same spirit that raised Christ from the dead dwells in you. That word also means inhabits. That life giving source is on the inside of you. The same faith that Peter used to raise the dead and walk on the water is the same faith that's inside of you. We live by the faith of Christ. We live by his faith. His faith was perfect. This is what you have on the inside of you. And while we're on this topic of faith, why don't we say, let's stop thinking about the unbelief. Too often we get stuck on unbelief. We get that verse in, I think it's also in James, James 1, where it talks about, you know, uh, or Mark 11, 23 and 24, if you can believe without unbelief, then you'll have what you say, right? And so many times we think, well, I have unbelief, so I shouldn't expect to receive anything from God, because James 1 also says that. He who is wavers like the sea shouldn't expect to receive anything from God. But I want to bring you to an example of Jesus. Jesus and the, the man who brought his son to Jesus, the epileptic boy, right? And they bring the boy to Jesus, the boy throws himself on the ground and he's having a seizure, foaming at the mouth and all of these things. And the father, I'm sure, is frantically looking and, and, and Jesus says, how long has this been going on? Doesn't that seem like an odd question to anybody else? You got this boy thrashing around on the ground and, and I'm sure the father's freaking out and everybody else is freaking out. And Jesus says, how long has this been going on? I think that's a strange question. So I thought about it and I'm like, Jesus, why did you ask this question? Why did you ask this question to this, this dad? Why didn't you just... And because he says, I was getting his attention. I was getting his eyes off of what he could see, and I was getting them on me. How long has this been going on? And the father looks up, and then they can have a conversation. We have to look away from those things that are distracting us. We have to look away from the symptoms. We have to look away from all those things and look to Jesus. And then the father said, I've been, Jesus says, everything is possible to those who believe. And the father says, I believe Help my unbelief. Now, did Jesus say, well, because you have unbelief, I'm not going to heal your boy until you get rid of all of your unbelief? Did he say that? No. The man said, I believe in you, Jesus. I believe that you can do exactly what you say you can do. But I'm struggling here because I'm seeing my boy in all of this pain and all of this, what's going on? But Jesus didn't say, well, you got to get rid of all that natural unbelief before I'll heal him. It was enough that he believed in Jesus. That unbelief didn't matter to Jesus. And he healed the boy. He says, you believe in me? I'm going to heal your boy. This is what he says to us. You believe in me? Doesn't the word say that 
he who believes on the name of Jesus will be saved. And saved includes everything. He who believes on the name of Jesus will be healed. He believes on the name of Jesus will have eternal life in the presence of the Father. He who believes on me will have prosperity and victory and, and provision on this earth. He, it doesn't say he who believes in me and doesn't have any unbelief. Believing is what matters. But we get so fixated on, I had a bad day and I was in unbelief, so now I must have to start all over again. You know, you have two weeks of really believing and being strong and being in faith, and then you have a really bad day and you say, well, I got to start all over again. No, no. You know what? You just repent and you move on. God, I had a bad day. I am sorry I took my eyes off your word, but I am back on track. Let's go. And you keep moving forward. We don't have to pay penance for anything. There is no penance that we have to pay for bad behavior or a bad day or a bad word where you kick the dog, don't kick your dogs, okay? He doesn't hold any of that against you. So working through things like that, that all came by just applying those four things that he showed me about the promises of God. Do you know every promise in the word, yes, we know it's yes and amen, Every promise in the word applies to you. There is nothing that you're excluded from. And the promise of God, Numbers 23, 19 says that God is not a man that he should lie, nor the son of man that he should repent. And if he said it, will he not do it? And if he spoke it, will he not make it so? Think about that. You know, whatever God says is truth, if God said, Teresa, you're a giraffe, I would turn into a giraffe because what he says becomes truth, is truth. It's not that he won't lie. He cannot lie because what he says becomes truth. When he spoke over me on March 13th, 2014, that I am healed from the top of my head to the tip of my toes and I will walk in divine health, that became truth. And it became my truth. I guess I should lead up to that moment, huh? So for six months, I am, six months I am, I am following him. I'm just, I'm like a little puppy dog, right? Where do you want me to go next? Where am I going next? What am I doing? You know, just eyes on him, focused on him, following him. And by March 13th, 2014, 14, I had, um, I was really to the point where I wasn't even thinking about healing anymore. I was just so enamored by what Jesus did, what he did on the cross, what he did for me, the price that he paid. I was so in love with Jesus at that point. I seriously did not care if I ever got healed. I just knew that the revelation that he had given me, I had to share with other people because I knew even if I couldn't receive off of it, somebody else could. So at that, at that time, I'm, I'm focused on Jesus and I'm standing in, at um, healing school and we're in praise and worship and there was a word from the stage about how the name of Jesus is greater than any other name. The big C is bigger than the little C. You know, Christ is bigger than cancer. And, and all it's, it's like everything just came together in one glorious moment of, of revelation, of authority, of who I am, of his name, that I have his name, that there's power in his name. And I just so calmly spoke to that stuff in my body. Lupus, you go in the name of Jesus. Sjogren syndrome, you go in the name of Jesus. Back, you be healed. Carpal tunnel, you be healed. And I just knew it was done. That that was my suddenly. That that was the moment that I finally received what he had done for me. And I went back to my seat and I knew I was healed. And that's when I heard him say, Teresa, you are healed from the top of your head to the tip of your toes and you will walk in divine health. And almost 10 years later, I am walking in divine health. Because this is his word for me. This is, this, his word settled it for me. And I'm not saying that I don't have symptoms of things. I have had confirmation over the years that the lupus is gone and the Sjogren's is gone and I don't have those, those back issues that put me on my back for two weeks at a time anymore. So, 
symptoms still come, a little backache here or this or that here, but all I have to do is turn back to his word. I turn back to his word for me and it overcomes it every single time. And this word is your word. This word is for you. The same thing that happened for me can happen for you. Because the word is true for everybody. The word is, he puts his, he puts his word above his very name. Let me throw this last thing at you. Psalm 107.20, I think it is. He sent his word and he healed you and delivered you from all your destructions. He sent his word. Now, a lot of times we think of, when we, we think his word, right? But John 1 says, in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. And then John 1.14 says, the word became flesh and dwelt among us. Jesus is the word. So Psalm 107 says, and God sent Jesus and healed you and delivered you from all your destructions. So I want to just encourage you today, whatever you think you need, you need him more because he is all that you need. Matthew 6.33 says, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Seek him first. And then everything will be added to you. If something is added to you, you don't have to get it. There is nothing that you have to do to get anything except for seek him first. Follow him first. Put your sights on him and he will lead you and he will guide you and he will show you what you need to do in order to get where you need to go. So instead of just trying to create your own path to that destination, Fix your eyes on him and he'll lead you there. Amen. Amen. You've been listening to a message from Karis New Testament Church. For more information or to contact us, go to www.karisntc.org. And remember, you are deeply loved, highly favored, and destined to reign in Christ Jesus.